Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. You're going to need your Bible. You're going to need a pen today. Hopefully you picked up one of these when you came in. I usually put or try to put the notes in the bulletin, but today I decided to change my sermon this morning. So, and the story goes that I was preparing to go to the next section in 1 Corinthians 14, but I just, all day yesterday and this morning, I just kept coming back to this idea of prophesying and Realizing that I don't know if we have complete clarity on what it is. I received some questions this past week, which helped me understand where people were at. I read some things this past week that demonstrate that our world has a very distorted view, or I should say our Christian world. The, those who claim to be Christians have a distorted view of the gift of prophesying. And I thought... I want to make sure that we're clear about this. This is probably not going to be one of those sermons that you're going to send to all your friends because you really think it's the best sermon you've ever heard. But I I hope that it will equip you because I do think that many times you talk to individuals or maybe even ask yourself the question, what is prophesying and what do these churches do that claim to do that? Let me just read a couple of things to kind of introduce to set the stage for this. I read a magazine article this past week about a pastor of a church called Morningstar Church. It's Pastor Chris Reed. So he explains the gift of prophesying. He says, it's like deja vu. And it's not, by the way. He says, you know, when you're talking about deja vu, it's like you're in a moment. And you're like, and he puts the word like in there. That's not me, okay? And you're like... I've been here before. This has happened. I don't know if it's a dream, if it's a thought, or if it's prophetic. It was what I would call a convergence or a confluence. In other words, you caught up your face in the future. Meaning, where God had you at that moment, God was showing you before. That kind of confuses me, but he adds... You may not even have remembered it, but where you are at, you are at the right place, at the right time. Convergence is the place where everything comes together. So you have this deja vu, and you go, God's speaking to me. That's what he's saying is one aspect of the gift of prophecy. Is that true? Is that accurate? No, that's not the gift of prophecy. If you had a deja vu moment this morning, please don't stand up and try to explain that to us. Or here's another one. I read this in a magazine called Charisma Magazine. A pastor in a church who practices prophecy said this this happens in his church. I I meet many people who tell me they desperately need a word from the Lord. I've seen Christians line up in the front of the church to talk to prophets, so they claim to have prophets in their church, hoping for a quick solution to their problems. I've seen those same Christians stand in line a second time because those prophets didn't give them the word they wanted the first time. I don't think that's prophecy either. 
I'm pretty positive that's not what the Bible is talking about. See, the office, the Bible speaks of an office of prophet. That is someone who holds a position for life. And the Bible speaks of a gift, a Holy Spirit given gift to be able to prophesy. I think that we unfortunately have seen people that use this idea of the gift of prophecy or the office of prophet in a wrong way in the past couple of years. I remember in 2020, I remember a lot of people were prophesying, or I should say a number of Christians were prophesying that Donald Trump would win the election. And what they said didn't come true. You know, they, these are pastors or people who claim to be pastors and they claim to be prophets in churches. So here's the question. What does the Bible mean when it speaks of prophecy? When it says that you should desire to prophesy, that you should desire to be the one prophesying, you should desire to listen to people prophesying. What does the Bible speak about, mean when it speaks about prophets? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, Paul encouraged the church to desire prophesying. What was that? What did it look like for that church? And how do we apply that today? And those are the questions I think all of us ask of this text when we see that word. Well, we're, we're speaking about building up the church. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In the larger context from chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, the larger context is worship matters in the local church. And so Paul is addressing what does a church do when they gather together? And for this church, this Corinthian church, one of the things that God had called them to do to build up the church was to desire prophesying and to do prophesying. So what was that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that God gave individuals in the church the gift of prophecy. He says, and also in 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, 10, uh, verse 28, that God gave the gift of the office of prophet. And 1 Corinthians basically tells us, or I should say tells this church in Corinth to desire that ministry by those who are gifted with that and those who hold that office. And why is that? And here's the simple truth that I tried to proclaim last week and that I want to get across this week. And that's the reason, the reason for that is that's because we should desire God's word. Ultimately, what they are communicating is a word from God. It's God's word. It's the revelation of God to those people. And so I just want to show you this in this passage. And then I'm going to go through and speak more about prophecy and kind of Maybe, maybe more, be more specific this morning about what it looked like for the Corinthian church and then what it, how we can apply that, I should say, today. So look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, <clears throat> verse 1. I'm just going to highlight a few of the verses that speak about prophecy. Verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may... Prophesy. Verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. 
for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people, and notice what prophecy does, prophesying, it, it's for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And, and so you can see that the ministry of prophecy is, is ministering the word in that way. Go down to verse number 29. Go to verse number 29. And here Paul goes through some rules the church must abide by when they are under the ministry of prophecy and also the ministry of tongues. But for this passage, we're going to read, it's for the ministry of prophecy. Look at verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak. This is speaking about during the worship service. And let the others weigh what is said. In verse 30, if a revelation is made to another sitting there. So notice a prophet gives a revelation. He's revealing something that God says. So if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn. So you're learning and all may be encouraged. It's building you up. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Let's pray and ask God to help us to understand this text and the others we will go through this morning. Father, I pray that this morning you will equip our church, equip us to be able to understand what your word means, but also, Lord, to live it out on a weekly and daily basis by faith in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The question really before us this morning is, are there New Testament prophets today in 2023? And do we have those with the gift of prophecy in the church? And and the simple answer is this. There are aspects of those who, uh, there's aspects of prophecy that exist today. In other words, there are those who function in a way that minister God's word. There are those who, who are able to uh, do some of the ministries of the prophets. But the simple answer is no, there are not those who have the office of prophet. And there are not those who are receiving new revelation like those who are gifted with the spiritual gift of prophecy. I think a lot of the confusion with the gift of prophecy in the office of prophet is a misunderstanding of the nature of the early church. Why did they need the supernatural gift of prophecy in the church? Why do they need prophets to speak? Why do they need those to be gifted with this gift to be able to speak for God? Well, the answer is because they didn't have the full, complete revelation of the New Testament like we do. I mean, if, if I ask you, as a believer in Christ, if, you, if I ask you to speak for God, like you want to hear God's word, what are you going to do? You say, I, I want to hear a word from the Lord. What are you going to do? You're going to go to the Bible and you're going to read God's word. 
Because 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. So if you want to be certain that you're reading and you're saying and you're knowing God's words, you go to the Old or the New Testament. We're not looking for a new word from God today. But see, that was different for the church in Corinth. Remember, the church in Corinth was started in 51 AD. There were only two books of the New Testament written by this time. And it's very likely that they didn't have those at that moment. One was Galatians, so maybe Paul made a copy for them. So that could have been a possibility. But the rest of the New Testament wasn't completed until 90, around 90 AD. And so it took about 60 years for the completion of the New Testament. And so here's the question. What did the church do during those 60 years? I mean, what if the church wanted to learn about justification? Where would we go in the scripture to read about justification? What, what New Testament book would we go to? Roman, that's right. Well, Corinth, the church in Corinth, they didn't have Romans. So where do they go to learn about justification? Or what about the Sermon on the Mount? Where, where do we go if we want to read the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew, right? Well, they didn't have the Gospel of Matthew. So you get my point. The point is, how did they hear and grow by God's word? And, and I touched on this last week, but it's good to remember this as we are going to dive into some new text this morning. That what, what, what it looked like for them to be in God's word was really in three ways. Number one, they had the Old Testament scripture. And so they went to the Old Testament scripture, preached Christ from the Old Testament. You see, Jesus said that the Old Testament is all about me or about him. It's all about Jesus. That's why when, when the Ethiopian eunuch was in that chariot and he was going down the, down the road in that chariot and he had the scroll of Isaiah, he didn't understand what he was talking about. He was reading Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant. He didn't know what was going on. And so the Holy Spirit spoke to the evangelist Philip to go talk to him. And he went and talked to that Ethiopian eunuch. And what did the evangelist do with that individual, with that Ethiopian eunuch? He preached Christ. The scripture says this, Acts 8.35. Beginning with this scripture, that's Isaiah 53, he told him the good news about Jesus. So you can actually go to the Old Testament and you can preach Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. And that's what the early church did. Second, how were they to know about Jesus? How were they to know the doctrines of Jesus? Well, the early apostles taught them. The apostles were men who saw Jesus. They were personally taught by Jesus. Now, that was only 13 apostles that they had at that time. So think about those 13 apostles. How could they get around to all the churches and tell them the teachings of Jesus? Well, they wrote letters. They distrib distributed those. They sometimes preached. But the reality is, as the church grew, those apostles, they couldn't be everywhere at once. And so their, their letters did get to many of the churches, but that took a number of years, right? I mean, we're talking about 50, 60 years until the completion of the New Testament. But, but we have the writings of the apostles. 
the, the apostles would go around, they would speak. And when the apostles spoke, they had the authority of Christ on their lips. And then the third way, how did they declare God's word in the church? If you didn't have an apostle and if you only had a couple letters, how did you know the rest of the doctrines of Christ? Well, the God, well God gifted the church with those who had the office of prophet. And he gifted those in the church with the gift of prophecy. And this gift, I should say both of these gifts, were given for a particular time. That's, that is, it was for the early church. The gift was given for a particular purpose. That is to reveal new revelation to the church. The gift was given with, a, with particular rules. And you can find those rules in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the very end of that chapter. And those rules were to be followed by the church to make sure that there was not error being taught. So the sermon really isn't about 1 Corinthians 14. It's really as you look at that first verse and you see that word to prophesy, what does that mean? And I want really for us to have an appreciation for this gift that God gave this church. I think sometimes many churches like us, we look at 1 Corinthians 14 and we get scared and run the other way. Because we're like, prophecy, prophets, we don't have those today. So, so I want to have clarity about that. And I want you to have clarity about that. And also I want to understand, how do we apply this? I mean, is this a passage as we go through? We're like, well, we can't really apply this to us. So, well, I want to know, how do we apply this to us? And so let's ask, I'm going to ask a number of questions. We're going to go through some texts. As we go through these texts of scripture, I want you to ask these questions to yourself as well. If you have a handout, you'll see some of these questions on here as well. And the first question is, who exercised this gift? So we're thinking about the Old Testament, and we're thinking about the New Testament. There were prophets in the Old Testament. There were prophets in the New Testament. There were those who exercised the, exercised the gift of prophecy in the Old Testament. There were those who exercised the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. So who exercised this gift? Well, prophets, those who held that office, and those who were temporarily gifted to prophesy. And so I, and I, and I gave a little more of a fuller explanation of what the office of a prophet was. So notice on there what the office of a prophet was. The office of prophet was commissioned, one who was commissioned by God. So this was, this was something you didn't choose for yourself. God called you to this. It was by God for life. Like this is, this is what your job is the rest of your life. God has called you to this. And your job is to receive revelation when the Holy Spirit chooses to speak. In other words, you don't have a choice. It's when the Holy Spirit chooses to speak to you. That's the job of a prophet. And he also then is to relay God's word, that word, to God's people. The, the gift of prophesying was a supernatural gift by the Holy Spirit. And it was temporary. It was for a particular time to receive revelation for that time. And then to relay it in whatever way God had to the people. And, and some people prophesied one time. Some prophesied a number of times, but it wasn't the office of prophet. It was a particular gift for a particular time for a particular purpose. And what is prophesying? How am I, am I doing? Okay. What is prophesying? Prophesying is the Holy Spirit empowered ability 
to receive and relay God's word. And that's the simple definition. So if you don't catch anything else I'm talking about, just hold on to that one right there. It's the ability given by the Holy Spirit to receive and to relay God's holy word. And, And how did they receive that? And here's kind of a question that people have is, how did they receive revelation? Well, this is where you see dreams and visions, sometimes the direct voice of God speaking to individuals. And so prophets many times received revelation through those means, or sometimes they based what they were saying upon already given revelation. And you see this in the Old Testament on a number of occasions when you see that the minor and the major prophets are preaching, and a lot of times they're going back to Moses and speaking about what Moses said. So all this was true in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So what I want to do is I want to do similar to what we did last week, walk through some text of scripture and notice some of these elements. So go back to Numbers chapter 11. So go back in the Old Testament to Numbers 11. This is where we were last week. We started here, Numbers chapter 11. I want to walk through and show you the progression of prophecy and how we got to the place in 1 Corinthians 14 where they were to expect prophets to speak and prophesying to take place. One day I was at a friend's house and we were sitting in his house and he was talking about how his grandpa built the house that we were sitting in. And as I was looking around the house, I was thinking, that's pretty incredible, right? I mean, every nail, every brick, piece of wood, whatever it was, like he built this house. And, and I'm sure there were times where they were living in some kind of shack or maybe half the house was built, but it took a number of months or maybe even years to build that house. And, I, and as I thought back on that, I thought, I wonder if the family really appreciated that as they're now into the next generation. They really appreciated what their grandpa did to build that house. I mean, how many times during the day do you think they thought about all the work that went into that? I mean, in fact, how many times during the year? The point is, I imagine there's many times when there wasn't really an appreciation for the work that went in to build that house. And I think that same thing can happen to us as a church. We have God's word. We have the complete New Testament. I mean, not only do we have the complete Old Testament and New Testament, not only do we have the sufficient word of God, but we have it in so many different translations. We have so many tools to be able to study this. And how many times do we take it for granted? But I think also when we look back on Old Testament texts and different times in church history and in, the, in redemptive history, we can sometimes have a distorted view of what happened to those people at that time. Maybe even sometimes long to, for those days, for the days when God spoke in visions and dreams. But actually, I think what we should do is realize that we have a complete house right now. We should have appreciation for what God has given to us. And so in Numbers 11, what we see here is the people are hearing God's word. But friends, they're not picking up a Bible. They're going back to their tent and they're trying to remember what was heard because they heard God's word from the mouth of Moses. That's the way they were able to receive God's holy word. So look at Numbers chapter 11, verse 24. Numbers 11, 24. Here's Moses. He's the one who holds the office of prophet. Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. So that's how they heard about 
the revelation of God. And then he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. That's Moses. So here's God's direct revelation to Moses. And took, that is God, took some of the spirit that was on him, on Moses, and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. So notice the connection. The Holy Spirit was upon Moses. That's why Moses was able to receive and give prophecy. And then the 70 elders, the Holy Spirit comes on them. And what's the result? They prophesied. This was for a particular time, for a particular purpose. This was a temporary gift of the Holy Spirit to be able to prophesy. They don't continue after this. What did they say? What, what does the scripture say that they, that they prophesied? What was, the, what was the nature of their prophesying? What does it say? But it doesn't really say, does it? We know that they received something from God. They said something in the name of God. But what they said, how they said it, it could have been like Miriam. Remember Miriam, she was a prophetess and her ministry of prophecy was singing and dancing. Maybe that's what they did. We don't really know what took place. And that's sometimes the difficulty you have in the scriptures when the Bible says this happened, they were prophesying and that's all it says. And I want you to kind of keep that in your mind because as we go through a number of texts of scripture, what we're going to see is that there's some vagueness to actually what prophesying is in certain contexts. So look at verse 26. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the spirit rested on them. So now the Holy Spirit comes on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out of the tent. So they prophesied in the camp. They continued to prophesy, right? And, and, a, and a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth said, my Lord Moses, stop them. Why should he stop them? Because Joshua recognized that the gift of prophecy was given uh, uh, to certain individuals, those who are God's choice servants. And so they assumed these guys are out of turn. They shouldn't be prophesying like this. This is not something that is something that's supposed to take place. But notice what Moses says in verse 29. This is so important. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all of the Lord's prof people were prophets that the Lord would put his spirit on them. So here Moses prophesies, listen to this, about something that will happen in the future, something he longs for, and that is this, that God's people could speak for him. They would have God's word. They would be able to speak for the Lord. Would that all the Lord's people were God's prophets. I want you to take that hope of Moses and kind of tuck that away because we're going to come back to that in just a moment. Now go to Numbers chapter 12 and look at verse 6. Numbers chapter 12, so the next chapter over, look at verse 6. And I want to demonstrate to you here how God spoke prophecy to his prophets and to those he gave the gift of prophecy to. Notice Numbers 12, 6. He said, hear my words 
If there is a prophet among you. So, okay, here's a prophet. He's going to prophesy. I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a what? In a vision. I speak with him in a dream. And so what he's saying here, he's saying that some prophets, like Moses, God spoke directly to. But most of his prophets here, he's saying that sometimes I speak in dreams, sometimes in visions. And that's how God communicated his word to them. In fact, this is a, a verse I share with my Sunday class that I taught this morning. Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Now, have you ever heard someone take that passage of scripture and they preach or they present a plan for the church? You know, here's vision. What's really funny is I read a couple um, of people who did this in 2020. Their 2020 vision. Wasn't that really brilliant? Your 2020 vision. And they use this verse right here. And then 2020 just went as, as, as terrible as you could possibly do to any plan that church could give, right? <laughs> is this church, is this, is this verse talking about your 2023 vision for the church? This is talking about revelation from God, where there is no prophetic revelation, where there is no vision. In other words, when, when there's a prophet that he, he's being spoken to by God, when that does not happen, the people cast off restraint, It's like saying when third grade boys are on the playground and there's no teacher and there's no rules, third grade boys will throw off restraint. I can remember being in elementary and we went out and played in the playground and we had those metal playground, you know, uh, the metal playground equipment. It was the monkey bars. They were like the cast iron. You know, I mean, these things were rock hard. We had the, the real slide that was the metal slide that if it was hot, your backside burnt. And I can remember getting on those monkey bars and playing chicken on there. And uh, that was not in the rules, by the way. And usually you try to do that when the teacher wasn't around. I had a friend who fell and he hit his teeth on those monkey bars, knocked his two front teeth, permanent teeth out. Without the word of the teacher... Elementary boys will throw off restraint. And without the word of God, people will throw off restraint. And that's what we see in our society today. That's why people are attacking God's word. That's why they come against God's word. Isn't it interesting, if you're a student of history, how many times over the past two or 300 years, and longer than that, but in American history, how many people try to attack the accuracy of God's word and come back around and they are wrong. (laughs) The Bible's right in the end of the day. Our world attacks scripture because they want to throw off restraint. They don't like the restraints of scripture. And so what you see in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, is that God's saying that he gives prophetic words to people so that there can be restraint. And what this tells us then is this, is that God spoke to those people through prophecy. So we're talking about God's word. But here's the thing we got to recognize, is that what took place back in the time of Israel is not what takes place today. They didn't have what we have. And so God spoke to them in this way. This is a way for God to give them the word so they could be restrained. And most importantly, so they could trust in the one true God and his redemption for them. 
Go to Joel chapter two. Go to Joel chapter two. At each point in redemptive history, when you have this change, what you see is a prophet or prophets who come on the scene, they declare the change, they declare God's doing something different, and that is proclaimed to the people. That's called prophecy. That happened with Abraham. He was a prophet. God used him to, to begin the nation or the people of Israel. Right? He's the father of Israel. That began with Moses. He began the nation of Israel. God spoke to him, gave him the law. They went into the land. That took place when Samuel was a prophet and he anointed first King Saul and then King David and he brought in the kingdom. And then you have the divided kingdom and God punishing his people for disobeying him. And so he sends them into exile and God has prophets that are saying, here's why this is changing. Here's why the kingdom is being dissolved. It's because you're being disobedient. One of those prophets was Joel. He was a prophet for Judah and he was telling Judah that God is punishing you by sending you into exile. But not only is there punishment, but there's hope because God's going to do something. And part of what God is doing is in the hope of prophecy. Look at Joel 2, 28. And it, sh- it shall come to pass afterward. So notice this is, this is in the future. This is a promise. This is God speaking. Actually, if you look back at uh, verse 19, I think it's verse 19, you can see that God actually says that this is him speaking. The Lord answered and said to his people. So God is speaking to his people. So Joel 20, 28, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Speaking of his people, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And these are all connected. These aren't separate events. These are all connected. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So what is the word of the Lord from the Lord to these people? And that is that someday... Men and women, young and old, even slaves will be able to speak the word of God. They will be able to prophesy. And again, tuck that away because in 800 years after this, we're going to bring that up and see God fulfill that in Acts. Go to Luke chapter 1 now. Go to Luke chapter 1, the New Testament. And what I want you to see is, again, these transitions in history. God has these prophets and they come on the scene. And they say, this is a change. Something else is happening. And that happens in Luke chapter 1. Who is the first one to receive a a word from the Lord during the time of, or I should say, to introduce the time of the Messiah? Who was the first one to receive a word from the Lord? It was Zechariah, right? Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. He's in the temple. He receives a word from the Lord. The next person was was Mary. And then Elizabeth, in fact, look at Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, verse 41. Look at the end of verse 41. Elizabeth was filled with, Luke 1, 41, filled with what? The Holy Spirit. And what happened when she was filled with the Holy Spirit? What happened when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon her? And she exclaimed with a loud cry, and then she began to prophesy. In fact, you look at Luke chapter 1, verse 67, 
I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Verse 46. Here's Mary, and Mary, she hears what God is doing, and she sees what God is doing in Elizabeth, and she is full of the Holy Spirit, and she prophesies as well. Then go to Luke chapter 1, verse 68. Notice this is Zechariah. His, his lips are loosed. He's able to speak. Verse 67, and his father, Zechariah, was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, and he did what? What did he do? He prophesied, saying, and he gave a prophecy about his son, John the Baptist. And who was John the Baptist? He was the last Old Testament prophet. And look down in verse 76 about what he says in this prophecy about his son. And you, that's John, his son, child will be called the prophet of the most high. You will go before the Lord. Who's that? That's Jesus Christ to prepare his way. And my point of telling you this is this. Here you're starting to see these people are receiving prophecies. They're beginning to prophesy. God's doing something. It's like God is stirring the pot and we should recognize something's about to happen. God is doing something special. What's happening is God is preparing for his prophet, the prophet, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to come to be the savior of the world. Now go to Luke chapter 3. We're going to look at Luke 3 here, and then we're going to go to Acts. And I want you to see the parallel. Because the same person who wrote Luke, the Gospel of Luke, wrote Acts. And who was that? It was Luke, right? So, like, Acts is Luke part 2. And so, notice the parallels here. So, look at Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John the Baptist, here he prophesies. John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water. But he, that's Jesus, so he's here, he's going to prophesy, he is, who is mightier than I, is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So here's the promise that Jesus would pour out his Holy Spirit upon his people. And so remember that hope of Moses, and remember that promise from Joel, here we have another prophecy that relates to the same thing. And that's the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon God's people. And then notice verse 21. Verse 21, now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, so Jesus is in the water, and he's being dipped under the water, he's being brought back up, the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily force form. So here we see the Holy Spirit being poured out upon Jesus like a dove. A voice came from heaven. That's the Father. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So notice the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. And what is the next thing Jesus does in his ministry? Before He has his temptation, but then in his ministry he goes out. And look at Luke chapter 4. The next thing Jesus does is he prophesies. He is the prophet and declares himself to be that, and he prophesies. Look at Luke chapter 4. Look at verse 16. And he came to Nazareth. So the Holy Spirit came on him, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, Notice what he's reading in Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit has been poured out upon me. That means I'm a prophet, right? Because he has anointed me 
to proclaim the good news to the poor. So this is an anointing of king, but also the idea that he is the one who has the spirit and therefore he can prophesy. And notice he does that. And then look at verse 20. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and all of the eyes, all the eyes of, sorry, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. So everyone's like, okay, what's he going to say? Verse 21, he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am the one the scripture spoke about. And then look at verse 24. He said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. So they reject Jesus. And Jesus says, you're rejecting the prophet of God. And so see that parallel. The spirit comes upon him. He goes out and prophesies. And then now, finally, go to Acts chapter 2. This is kind of culminating to this event. I mean, the Old Testament and the Gospels have been building to Acts chapter 2 to see this promise fulfilled. Acts chapter 2 the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. So just like the Holy Spirit was poured out upon Jesus in Luke chapter 3, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches and he says, this is a fulfillment of what happened in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And so this is a fulfillment of what Moses hoped for. This is a fulfillment of what Joel prophesied would, would happen. This is a fulfillment of what John the Baptist said was going to happen. And look at verse 20. No, look at verse number 17. Acts 2, 17. In the last days, this is Peter preaching. He's quoting Joel 2, 28. In the last days. So what he's saying is this. These are the last days. So right when the church started, right at this moment at Pentecost, the last days started, the church began. It shall be, verse 17 continues on, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So notice the connection between the prophesying, the dreams, and the visions. And verse 18, even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall do what? They shall prophesy. And so what you see here is he's saying what's happening right now is being, or what, what was predicted before is now being fulfilled. The Holy Spirit has come. Those who believe in Jesus Christ, they're permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And that's what the pouring out of the Spirit is. It's God giving us the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came, permanently indwelt those who believed in Jesus. And then over the next 50, 60, 50, 60 years, the Holy Spirit enabled believers in the church to prophesy. And so what, what did that look like? Because in Corinth, we see that in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see men and women prophesying. What did that look like? And here's the problem we have. We just really don't know. The Bible really just doesn't say exactly what that looked like. We can go through Acts, and I'm going to do that just real briefly, but we can go through Acts and we can think of different situations in which we see prophets speaking in two churches or in churches, we can see examples of people who receive visions and dreams. But 
how that functioned in the church, we don't really know. In fact, there's only a handful. I could probably only count two, maybe three instances in the entire book of Acts where anything that happened in visions and prophecies would enter into the church. Most of the times that you see visions and dreams and things like that in Acts are predictive or they're directional. They're helping the church know what to do. And I'm going to fly through some of these. So if you want to write these down, you can. Acts chapter 7. The first time we see a vision is Stephen. Acts 7, 56. Stephen preached. He's being stoned. He's about to die. He sees Jesus. That's the first vision we see. And he prophesies and that he tells everyone, I see the son of man standing on the right hand of God. Then Acts chapter 8. The spirit speaks to Philip. That's not within the church. He's out evangelizing. And the spirit says, Philip, go over there. And so he goes over there, gives the gospel, the guy's saved. Paul receives a vision in Acts 9 on the Damascus road. He sees Jesus. Well, he's blinded, so he hears Jesus. And then Ananias, he is able to also receive a vision. And Ananias is just a regular disciple. He's not a prophet. He's not a preacher. He's just a disciple given the gift of prophecy. And I imagine that's probably the first example of prophecy that would have been spoken in the church. Because you can imagine everyone in the church is scared of Saul, Paul, you know, this guy who killed people, persecuted us. And so I can imagine he took this vision, this prophecy, went to the church and said, hey, church, this is what God told me about Paul. So let's embrace him here. We don't see that actually happening, but I can imagine that probably did take place. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius sees a vision. Again, that's not within the church. Paul, or should say Peter, had a vision as well. And again, that was in a home that was personal. It was not in the church. Acts chapter 11. Go to Acts chapter 11. We'll show you this one. This, will, this one might help you. In Acts 11, verse 27, you see, Acts eleven twenty-seven. you see prophets. And they come down from Jerusalem. They really go north to Antioch. And what do they do? Acts 11, verse 27. What do those prophets do? Well, we just don't really know. See, and see here, I'm trying to show you that the, the problem we have is that the Bible will say things, and, and Acts is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It just tells us what happened. It's descriptive. But it doesn't tell us actually a lot of information about some things. Like, we don't know what these prophets said. Now, we know in Acts chapter 14 that there were revelations. In other words, they were receiving something from God, so they probably were communicating God's word in some way. But what that looked like, we don't exactly know. We do know in verse 28 that one prophet, had a, his name is Agabus, he foretold of a famine coming, and that happened. So that's one thing that we know definitely took place in the local church at that time. Then Acts chapter 13, why don't you just flip over there and look at that. Acts chapter 13, we see in Acts 13, one of the role of the prophets is that they sent out uh, Paul and Barnabas. Look at Acts 13 and verse 2. While they were worshiping, so the church is gathered, they're worshiping, they're fasting. The Holy Spirit said, so the Holy Spirit spoke to these prophets. And not just a feeling, but these are actually words. Like he said this, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that, to which I have called them. And so this was directional, right? This is God saying through the Holy Spirit, this is what I want the church to do. Look at Acts chapter 15. Acts 15, you see 
the apostles in Jerusalem and the elders, that's the pastors in Jerusalem and the church, they discuss something. They send a letter and the apostles send a letter. In Acts 15.31, notice what happens is that you have two prophets who read that letter. Acts 15.31, when they read it, that's the letter. They rejoice because of its encouragement. And Judas, that's one of the prophets, and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged, strengthened the brothers with many words. So, so what did that look like? They took a letter, they read it. Did they explain the letter? Did they teach on the letter? Probably, maybe. We don't, we don't really know, right? And so that, this is the difficulty we're having is that we say, okay, so it probably included them taking a letter from the apostles and, and prophets probably read those and were able to teach the people those letters. But even as, you know, we don't have any examples necessarily of that happening except for this one right here. Acts 16, Paul received a vision from the Macedonian man. Acts 18, go to Acts 18, because this actually happened in Corinth. In fact, this is probably, if we have an example of a vision being spoken about in the church of Corinth, it's Acts chapter 18, verse 9. So Paul's in Corinth, they're being persecuted. And so Jesus gives Paul a vision and tells Paul in verse number 9, notice this, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid but go on speaking and do not be silent. Do you think Paul took that back to the church and told the church, hey church, I had a vision, here's a prophecy, don't be, don't be afraid. I think he probably did, right? It was comforting to the church. Don't be afraid. God, verse number 10, for God says, I'm with you. No one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. So there's a promise from God. God's gonna save more people. God has people that are his people in that city, and they just need to continue to give the gospel to them. Acts chapter 19, verse 6. I know I am keep going through these. I just can't help myself, really. Acts 19, verse 6. You see 12 Jews get saved, and what do they do? They speak in tongues, and they prophesy. What does that mean? What did they say? Acts 19, 6. What does it say? It doesn't say. <laughs> All it says is that's what they did. Or how about Acts 21, 9? You have four women who are prophesying. And they seem to do this on a regular basis. Four women are prophesying. Acts 21, 9. What do they, what do, they do to prophesy? We don't know. Maybe they laid, led singing in the church, you know? Maybe they wrote songs. Maybe they prayed for people. We don't really know what that looked like for them. Uh, in verse number 10 of Acts 21, we see again this prophet Agabus. He predicted Paul would be captured. So that evidently happened. So now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Because what we just did was you flew through pretty much almost all the examples in the book of Acts about visions and prophecies and dreams. So what did the gift of prophesying in the local church look like in Corinth? And what's the answer to that? We just really don't know. We have some possibilities. It probably, possibly included songs. It probably included reading the apostles' letters. It probably included giving insight into Old Testament texts. It probably included predictions and guidance by the Holy Spirit for the church. 
It probably included a word from God to comfort his people, as we saw in Acts 18. It could have been teaching doctrine, New Testament doctrine to the church. And there were probably times that prophecy led to preaching and teaching. Prophecy is directly, or I should say, prophecy is speaking directly what God says. So it's receiving what God says and it's speaking what God says. Sometimes prophecy can lead to teaching. So you say, this is what God says, and now let me tell you what that means. Sometimes prophecy can lead to preaching. Preaching is is exhortation. This is what God says. That's prophecy. Preaching, you must obey what God says. And so for the New Testament church here, what did that mean for them, for them to desire prophesying or to desire to be the one Prophesying. And I think what it means is, it means that they were to desire the revelation of God's word. And the distinction between that church and our church is that we have the sufficient revelation of Jesus Christ found in the Old and New Testament. We don't need to hear a word from God. We don't need new revelation. They did. They didn't have what we have. And so they needed prophets to come in and speak God's word. They needed someone to have direct revelation from God and to communicate that to the church. So do we have the gift of prophesying and prophets today? And the simple answer is no, not in the way that they did. Yes, we enjoy the prophesying, the prophecy, I should say that way, of God's Word. So we enjoy that we have the Old and New Testament. And we enjoy some of the aspects of prophesying. In other words, we sing. And we take the revelation that God has given us. We write songs and we sing those songs. We, we take the revelation that God has given us, the prophecy that God has given us, and we preach that. We take the revelation that God has given us and we, we disciple each other with that. So there's aspects of the, the office of prophet and prophesying that we still function in today. But as far as how it worked for them back then, we do not have the office of prophet and we do not have the gift of prophecy functioning like it did in the first century church. And we'll see this more in depth when we look at the very end of 1 Corinthians 14 because he gives specific rules for what's supposed to happen in prophesying and clearly that's something that is not taking place in our church here today. Let's do one last thing and that is let's go on the screen look at 2 Peter chapter 1 because Peter says that we have something that's more certain than any word from the Lord that you could hear, any vision that you could receive, any dream that you could have. I want you to think about this. If you were able to go home tonight and you were able to see Jesus stand before you and he was able to talk to you, would you rather have that or would you rather have God's word? And I think our natural fleshly inclination would be, I would rather be able to hear Jesus speak to me face to face. But what Peter says here is, We, speaking of himself, Peter, James, and John, heard the very voice voice of God born from heaven. When they were on that mountain of transfiguration, they heard God's voice, voice, and he said this, For we were with him on the holy mountain, but we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed 
to which you will do well to pay attention. You see, when we hear about people who are like, God spoke to me last night in a dream and he said this. Can I just tell you, church? You don't need to argue with that person. I'm not saying to do that. But can I tell you, that's not something to desire. This is something to desire. This is certain. If you really want to know what God has to say, open it up, look at it, read it, study it. This is God's word. You had a dream last night and it told you something. Okay, great. Maybe, maybe it can help you with something. But it's not certain. You might forget it. It might be that you had too much pizza. Who knows? The point is that if you want to know certain, certainly for sure what God says, Peter says, go to this right here. We have the certain word of God. May we desire God's word. May we desire the prophecy of God's word. May we desire to minister God's word. And so how do we apply 1 Corinthians 14? That is, let's desire to minister God's word to each other. And let's desire to have the word of God be in our hearts, in our lives. Let's pray.